Well, welcome. We're in week three of our On Your Mark series, which is going to take us right up to Thanksgiving. It's hard to believe that we're about to walk into October, isn't it? I mean, October's, is that tomorrow? Oh, my word. Okay, let's just, uh, let's move on. Um, But we talked last Sunday about a passion for Jesus, right? We talked last Sunday about a passion for Jesus, and this Sunday, um, I want to talk about how to live with a passion for Jesus. And so I've got five things uh, that we're going to talk about this morning on how to live with a passion for Jesus. I walked into Dunkin' Donuts this morning because just like America runs on Dunkin', um, sometimes it seems like the church runs on Dunkin', doesn't it? But, um, just kidding. Um, but I walked in and, and I was about to order my, my coffee and the guy in front of me, um, there, there's this thing, like you, you know when you walk into a room full of tall guys, most of them probably play basketball, like that's the assumption, like that's one of the top two questions I get asked in my life, how tall are you? And did you play basketball, right? Which I'm not sure why it's always past tense. I'm not sure why it couldn't be, pre- do you play? Anyway, um, but, uh, but, uh, but, you know, you just kind of know some things. Well, I, the guy in front of me, he just looked like a preacher. He just, he just did. Like, like that radar went off in me, like this, this guy's a pastor. And then he ordered his coffee. And I knew he was a pastor. I need a medium, hot, coffee. And I was like, man, bro, where are you preaching this morning? He told me, and I was like, God bless you, man. Have an awesome day. It was just, it was just exciting, man. This guy was excited about Jesus ordering his coffee, and, and so it kind of convicted me, so I went up to him. And uh, I'm not going to tell you how I ordered my coffee, but, uh, but no, it was, it, we, we had a little bit of fun this morning at the Dunkin' Donuts, and I think the people behind the counter thought we were crazy, um, which just might be true. Um, but I remember seeing a shirt I remember seeing a shirt back when I played basketball that said this, and you may have had a shirt similar with different sports or, or something like that, but you've, you've probably seen something like this before. The, the, the shirt read this, life is basketball and the rest is details. Life is basketball, the rest is details. You might have had like a life is soccer or for some of you life is reading or life is chess or life is something, which I'm not, I'm not ragging the, the chess folks in here. I was part of the chess club way back when, so um, I'd, be, I'd be happy to, to, to beat anybody in here in chess. Um, but, but back to the message, life is basketball and the rest is details. And the idea behind the phrase was that basketball was the primary focus of my life. And everything else really didn't matter. And at that point in my life, when I read that shirt, when I saw that shirt, I could, I could relate to that shirt. I could relate because for me, it was one of the greatest priorities of my life at that time and nothing else really mattered. Nothing else really uh, took precedence. And sadly, sadly, at the time, that was also a reflection of my relationship with God. In fact, I would say for a large part of of my life as a believer, and maybe you can identify with this as well, for a large part of your life as a believer, or, or at least a portion of your life, that God was really just a part of your life. God was really just something that you tried to fit in. He was a part of your life, but He wasn't everything. And I think that's the idea behind Paul's phrase in the book of Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. We're going to talk about it a little bit later in the message as well. But I want to bring it up here as we're, as we're introducing today. Because he says, very popular phrase, for me to live is 
Christ. Anybody remember the rest? To die is gain. For me to live is Christ. For me to die is gain. Many of us, in fact, most of us in this room, from what I heard, know that verse by heart. But do we know it by practice? Many of us know that verse by heart, but do we know it by practice? For many of us, life becomes school. Life becomes family. Life becomes career. Life is some hobby or entertainment. I read one author this past week that said this, life is what we are alive to. If you're taking notes, write that down. Life is what we are alive to. It's what gets us really excited. And for many of us, our passions lie outside of our relationship with Jesus. For many of us, our passions lie outside of our relationship with Jesus. Pastor Ian and I were spending some time together on Tuesday, and, and, uh, and, and we were talking about this verse, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And we were talking about, you know, what, just what does it look like to live for Christ? Like, life is Jesus. For everything to revolve around Jesus. And one of the things that, that we came up with, and I don't remember uh, which one of us said it first, so I'll just take the credit if that's okay. Um, but uh, but, but one, of us, one of us brought up the fact that when we were dating our spouses, like when, when he was dating Bree and, and I was dating Kristen, no one had to make us spend time with them. Like that's just not, right? I mean, when you were dating Karen a couple weeks ago before you guys got married, um, no one, no one probably had to make you spend time with Karen. You were there all the time, right? I, I you know, I would sh- probably to my fault. I was like a wart, and she couldn't get rid of me. You know? Can we say that about our relationship with Jesus? No one has to tell you to have a quiet time. No one has to tell you to get along with Jesus. Nobody has to tell you to do this or do that. You do it because you want it. You do it because you're passionate about it. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 22. We're going to uh, jump over to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So you can put your um, finger in both of those. But Matthew chapter 22, starting verse 34. We're going to read a very popular passage through 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to them, You shall love the Lord your God, get this, with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. See, the order of these two commandments is important. And, and, sometimes, and sometimes, I think we, sometimes I think we get it backwards, even within the church. But the order of these two commandments, I want you to notice, is important. And I know we know it in our minds, but I want us to get it in our hearts today. Okay? Living with a, living, here, here's, something, here's something for free. Living with a passion for Jesus isn't knowing it all. It's, it's living it all. It's heart. Okay, it's, it's passion. It's a white hot fire in here. You can have all the knowledge in the world and not be living with a passion for Jesus. 
And so even though we know, right, even though we know you were probably sitting there as we were reading that, right? And I talked about the order of the commandments. Well, duh, pastor, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind is first. Then love your neighbor as yourself. But let's look at this. The order of these two commandments is important. Jesus did not teach that in order to be in a loving relationship with God, his disciples must first love their neighbors. His disciples must first love their neighbors and be considerate of their feelings and be thoughtful of, of the things that, that, um, that, that, that they, they you know, post on, on, on social media so that they don't hurt anybody's feelings or this or that. Jesus didn't teach that in order to be in a loving relationship with His Father, that His disciples must first love their neighbors. He taught that the great and first commandment is to love God with one's entire being. He taught that the great and first commandment was to love God with one's entire being. And elsewhere, Scripture makes it clear that this love for God is possibly only is possible only because God first loved us. It's possible only because God first loved us. And so I want us to skip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time together. I want us to look at verses 1 through 7, and I want to see, I, I want to see five traits, five markers of living with a passion for Jesus. Okay, you guys excited this morning? I'm, 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 I'm whew, pumped this morning. All right, <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, and he says this in verse 1, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Now, I want, I, want you to, I want you to grasp that real quick. I want you to, I want you to catch this, because I want you to catch this from the beginning. Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty, and then get what he says next, have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Even though they were in a period of extreme poverty, there was a wealth of generosity on their part. Okay, They weren't giving out of the overflow, they were getting out of the nothing. You see that? Okay, that's important. Verse 3, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. They were in extreme poverty. Verse 4, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he, that as he had started... So he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. See that you excel in this act of grace also. The first thing it takes to live with a passion for Jesus is this. Trust and submission to God's plan. Trust and submission to God's plan. Look at verse 5. He says, And this, not as we expected, not as we expected, 
but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God. Trust and submission to God's plan. Trust and submission to God's plan. Not as we expected, but God came through because they gave themselves first to God and then to us. Jumping back to Philippians chapter 1, we all know where Paul is. We did, a, we did a study through the book of Philippians back in the spring. But Paul is in, in prison, and he writes to the church of Philippi in verse 19, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now and always, Christ will be honored in my body whether by life or by death, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. That gives some, some perspective, doesn't it? That gives some perspective about things that happen on a day-to-day -day basis, about things that happen in our jobs, things that happen in life, things that happen all over the place, all around us. That is my eager ex expectation, Paul writes, and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, as he's waiting execution in prison, Jesus will be honored in my body. Whether by life, Jesus will be honored. I'll give God the glory. Or by death, Jesus will be honored. I'll give God the glory. For Paul... To live as Christ meant to trust God's plan and purpose no matter what. For Paul, to live as Christ meant that God was sovereign over everything no matter what. That God had a plan, that God had a purpose. He may not have understood everything, but he did know that God was using it. Paul trusted that God had a plan. Paul trusted that God had a plan. Number two, so the first thing, living with a passion for Jesus takes trust and submission to God's plan. Number two, we must depend on the body of Christ. We must depend on the body of Christ. What's the body of Christ? The church! The church. Awesome. Awesome. The church. I wish I had candy. Sometimes I just feel like I need candy to throw out because people just get way more excited, especially the 9 a.m. service. I feel like Sometimes just throwing out, throwing out a piece of candy would, would maybe, maybe spice things up a bit and bring, bring things to life, okay? But the church, right? We must depend on the body of Christ. I love what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And then get this, let us consider how to stir up one another. Everybody say stir stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all and all the more as you see the day drawing more. I love this in Hebrews chapter 10, especially verse 25, not neglecting to meet together. What the writer of Hebrews was calling out was all the online churchgoers. You know, back in, the, back in the book of Hebrews time, they had some people that just said, no, I can go to church right from my living room. I can watch it online, right? Y'all with me? Come on now. Right? No, but, but not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. He uses two words here that I think are super important. Number one, stir. Number two, encourage. 
right? Stirring one another. Stirring one another onto what? Loving good works. Love God, love people, right? The mission of every church, right? Love God, love people. Stir one, an- one another onto love and good works and encouraging one another and all the more as the day is drawing near, right? We must depend on the body of Christ. Paul's confidence came, Paul's confidence came that we see in Philippians chapter 1, Paul's confidence came and that we see in 2 Corinthians from the generosity of the churches. Paul's confidence came from the generosity that he felt from the other churches. Not only their, their generosity, but their prayers. That's why, that's why we get this saying around here that, 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 that we've kind of bought into and a lot of you have heard over and over again. We believe 100% that circles are better than rows. What do you say? Let's just do a test real quick, just making sure everybody's here this morning, wide awake, had their Dunkin'. What are you sitting in right now? Rows, right? Rows, right? Rows. If you were in a small group this past week, hopefully you sat in a circle or a square or some type of shape where you faced someone, right? Where you faced someone. Where you got to get face-to-face with somebody, where you got to talk to somebody about what's going on in their life and how they're responding to the Scripture or the truth that you're talking about, right? But I want you to... I want you to recognize a word in this point. Living with a passion for Jesus means that we must depend on the body of Christ. In order to live with a passion for Christ, you must, I must recognize that I'm not the answer for everything. That I can't do everything. That I can't handle everything. You catch that? Being able to depend on the body of Christ means to humbly come forth and say, you know what? I'm good at some things, but I'm not good at all things. In fact, in the last nine months, that's been the most, one of the most freeing things for me as your pastor. I've said a couple of times over the last couple of weeks, um, to, to Russ, and every time, every, every time I say it, he just cheers, like in this oddly awkward way. But I'll hear that, you know, something's happening around the church, or something's going on, or this, this Bible study's happening, or this is happening, or um, Pastor Ian spoke at the, the 50 plus uh, luncheon a couple weeks ago. I had no idea that was happening until um, I was sitting in the office and I hadn't really seen Pastor Ian all day. And I'm like, well, I should probably check on him and make sure he's okay. And he's like, he texted me back finally, like 30 minutes later. He said, I just got done speaking at the 50 plus thing. I'm like, oh, they didn't ask me? And I'm like, oh, they didn't ask me. Like, this is awesome. You know, like, like, and so I've said to Russ a couple of times, I'm like, I have no idea some of the things that are happening around here, and it's amazing. You know why? Because the body is most effective when the body ministers to the body. The body is most effective when the body ministers to the body. And if you've seen that, and if you've experienced that, then that's a great place for you to shout a big amen. 
Because the body's most effective when the body ministers to the body. Because here's the deal. If I become the superstar or the celebrity here or Pastor Russ does or Pastor Ian does or Dylan or Jeff or somebody else does or, or Kristen and some of the folks that sing up here, they become the superstar, the celebrity around here, guess what? We're all going to hurt because that's not the body of Christ. That's a show. Living with a passion for Jesus is a bunch of people getting together that recognizes Hey, we need each other. We need each other. We need each other. We need every player. We need every person to do their part in the body of Christ. Because elsewhere, Scripture talks about we are the body. We got hands. We got feet. We got eyes. We got ears. We got we got noses. Right? How many? Who's the nose? No, I'm just kidding. Um, but 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 every part of the body is vital. Every part of the body is vital. And we must depend on each other for our passion for Jesus, right? So, trust and submission to God's plan, depending on the body of Christ, number three. Number three, exalt Christ in everything we do. Exalt Christ in everything we do. Another way to say this would be if you want to live with a passion for Jesus, live for the glory of God. Live for the glory of God. Live for the glorify God. Live for the glory of God to glorify God. Paul said this about believers in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. Let me tell you what he's saying there. Paul is telling the church at Corinth that we give off the smell of Jesus. We give off the smell of Jesus. We magnify Him by our lives. He also said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians verse 3, chapter 3, verse 3, that they were a letter from Jesus written for all to read. What does your letter look like? That we're a letter from Jesus written for all to read. Look at verse 1 in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Let me tell you, it's not the churches of Macedonia. It's the grace of God through the churches of Macedonia. And you look back at verse 5. And he says, And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. See, I've lived, I've lived in such a way where I've wanted to please Herb. This guy right here. I've lived in such a way, I've lived in such a way where I've been crippled by the expectations of people like Jim and Chad and Tammy and Matt and Stanley back there. I've lived in such a way where I have tried to not necessarily please God, but to please all of you first and God second in my ministry. And I'm not to say that I won't struggle with that again, but over the last couple of months, it's been very freeing to just live for an audience of one and watch God work out the rest and watch God handle the rest. In fact, we were talking about something Wednesday in staff meeting. 
And I even said, you know what? A couple years ago, that would have probably crippled me. But now, God's in control. And I'm just living for His glory. And let me just, let me just say, that sounds like a pat on my back. No. It's freeing. We just sang about it. I'm no longer a slave. I'm a child of God. And when you get to the place where you can say, I'm no longer a slave. I'm no longer a slave. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm no longer a slave to pleasing other people or living up to their expectations or making sure that they like me or making sure they're happy with me or making sure this or making sure that. It's very freeing to say, you know what? I'm a child of God. Some people are going to like me. Some people aren't going to like me. Some people are going to like the chair set up today. Some people are going to hate the chair set up today. Some people are going to like this change. Some people aren't going to like that change. Some people, but you know what? We're living for Jesus, and that's really all that matters at the end of the day. At the end of the day, if I'm living for Jesus, and you're living for Jesus, and I'm living to glorify God, and you're living to glorify God, guess what? We're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. So we live for the glory of God. We live to glorify God. All right, number four. Number four, properly view eternity. If we're going to live with a passion for Jesus, we've got to live to glorify God, to exalt Christ in everything we do, and have a proper view of eternity. How a person views, how we view the end of something always affects how we live. How we view the end of something always affects how we live. Our view of the end should always affect how we live now. Our view of the end of things always affects how we live now. The proper, I mean, the, the, the popular thing to say here, right, is we can't take it with us, right? If we're living to accumulate a bunch of things, if we're living to build wealth, and we're living to do all of this, right, at the end, live with the end in mind. Properly view eternity. And that affects how we look at other people, right? Which leads me to number five. Focus on discipleship. Focus on discipleship. If you look at verses 6 and 7 of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Paul um, uh, writes to Timothy, and, and he says, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. We've got to focus on discipleship. I read this past week, you can teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. You can teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. This should be our purpose as Christians as we live for Jesus. Why? Because while he was on earth, he discipled others. To really live for Jesus means to do the same. Consider something else that Paul said to Timothy. He says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. 2 Timothy 2.2 In this verse, 
and what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We see four generations of believers. Four generations of believers. Paul teaching Timothy. In fact, let's show this, right? I'll be Paul, okay? I'll be Paul, right? Teaching Timothy. There's Russ. Russ, stand up, okay? I'm just going to do this all over, okay? Ru- uh, teaching Timothy. Um, and, then, and then we've got, so we've got Paul, Timothy, and then we've got Timothy teaching other men, right? He's going to start it next week um, over here, uh, the second service, right? So Paul um, teaching Timothy, and then Timothy. We've got, we got Dwayne. Can, can you stand up for me? We've got Chad, and we've got Nick. Can you guys stand up, okay? Teaching other men, right? Teaching other men. And then, and then, right, they're going to teach other men. So then we got, we got Ian, Herb, Jim, and Jeff, right? Stand up, right? You see how that, you see how that happens? You see how that happens? Four generations of believers from Paul to Russ, Russ to, to Dwayne, Chad, and Nick, and then from them to Ian, Herb, Jim, and Jeff. That's pretty awesome, right? Thanks, Ben. <laughs> Sorry I didn't call your name. All right, you guys can have a seat. Four generations of believers, right? And so it means to, that, that's what it means to live for Jesus. It means to be a disciple that disciples others so that one day they can do the same. An easy way for me, and I, I know I talked about her, was it last week or two weeks ago? I don't remember. I think it was last week. But... But for me, it's like, it's like this. If you were to ask Micah, my little eight-year-old, Micah, what's your favorite color? What's your favorite color? You know what Micah's going to say? Carolina blue. Carolina blue. We were in a store last night. We were in a store last night, and we saw something um, on the color of Uncle Mike's shirt over here, and, and, uh, which is that royal blue, something like Herb's coat right here. And she, she looked up at me, uh, this little eight-year-old, Micah, she said, Daddy, this is the ugliest color I've ever seen. <laughs> you know why? It's Duke blue. It's Duke blue, right? Carolina blue, Duke blue. Right? She has a teacher in her school that's a Duke fan, and anytime she knows she's going to see that teacher, she wears Carolina blue. And she rubs it in that teacher's face. And I'll go to pick up, and Mrs. Dunbar looks at me and says, Micah's wearing Carolina blue today. I saw it. And I'm like, proud father moment, right? Proud father moment. Because you know what that means? That means in 80 years when, when I allow Micah to have kids and stuff, right, she's going to teach her kids about the, the, the Carolina blue way, right? Just like my father taught. You, you see with that? What would it look like if we did that with Jesus? Right? And I hope as a father that she's just as passionate about Jesus as she is Carolina blue. But that's what it looks like. As we teach things to our kids, things we like, maybe a movie series or this or that, right? That the most important thing we pass down to generations is Jesus. Living with a passion for Jesus. Trusting and submission to God's plan, depending on the body of Christ. Living for the glory of Christ. Properly viewing eternity with a focus on discipleship. Anybody ever heard of Duck Dynasty? Okay, the youngest brother of the Duck Dynasty clan, Jeff Robertson, 
There's a story about Jep. You know, they were raised in the church. They were raised in the church, and Jep, Jep kind of became the, the black sheep of the family. He got into drugs, he got into alcohol, he got into a bunch of stuff, and, and he would be out until all hours of the night. He was living with Phil, who's the dad, and and uh, and and um, Miss Kay, right? Sorry, uh, and um, he was living with them, and he'd be out till all hours of the night. And this went on for months and months and months, where Jep just was kind of dragging the family's name through the mud and, and not living for Christ, which was the more important thing to, to Phil and his other brothers. And so one night, Jep was at the movie theater with some friends and up to no good. And, and two of his brothers showed up at the movie theater and said, Hey, Jep, come on. We're going to the living room. We're going to have a family meeting. So Jep kind of reluctantly got in the truck, right? And, uh, and they, they kind of tossed him in the truck, the video says, and took him home. And they got, they got into the living room. The whole family was there. The whole family was there. And they, I, I don't know what that meeting completely looked like. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I mean, I'm not sure. <laughs> but at the end of it, they say not one person wasn't crying. And they prayed with Jep. And Jep said, I want to change. And Phil said, here's the deal. If you want to change, there's going to be some new rules around here. There's going to be curfew. There's going to be, and he was talking to like a 20-something-year-old man, which, which that's a great parenting message, and we may do that someday, that, um, that you can actually have expectations and boundaries for your kids. Okay, anyway, sorry. But he said some things are going to change around here. And they prayed, and Jeff was like, yeah, I want to change. I want to be restored. I want to be a part of the family. I want to be all that. About five, ten minutes goes by, and Jeff's just kind of thinking over to the side. And he finally speaks up, and he looks at his parents, looks at his brothers. He said, Dad, what took you so long? Kind of to say, I was waiting for you. When I was out till all hours of the night doing the stuff I was doing and doing, you know, the things I was, uh, I was getting involved in, I knew it wasn't right. What took you so long? There's someone in your life. There's someone in my life that's a jet. And I don't know about you, but I don't want them to look at me someday and say, Travis, what took you so long? You go to church, you preach, you do this, you do that. What took you so long to hold me accountable? What took you so long to stir me to love and good works, to encourage me in the faith? What took you so long? to live with such a passion for Jesus that you wanted me to as well. To live with such a pursuit of the things of God that you wanted me to as well. One of the most heartbreaking conversations I've ever had 
was around Christmas time one time where I looked across the table at somebody who I know very well. And basically the conversation got to the point where he said, so you believe right now if I died I would go to hell. It's a great dinner conversation. Two days before Christmas. I said, yeah. I do. But you know what he told me later? Thanks for not lying to me. I can't actually tell you what he said, but the gist of it was thanks for not lying to me. We talked last week as the worship team comes that one of the biggest signs of lukewarmness in our culture right now is living in such a way as to not offend the devil. <laughs> living in such a way as to not offend the devil. And one of the things I said last week that I hold to is this. The gospel is offensive. The gospel is offensive. Jesus took the world of every religious leader of his time and flipped it upside down. Challenged their beliefs, challenged their practices, challenged their teachings, challenged it all. Why? Not to show off. I don't ever get the feeling that Jesus was like, hey, I'm going to put you in your place. I'm going to show you. I'm going to stick, you know. I never get that impression. He wanted to stir their passions for something more. He wanted to get to the heart. What's the greatest commandment? Love God with everything in you. And love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with everything in you. And love your neighbor as yourself. You are the aroma of Jesus to people. You're a letter from Jesus that everybody is reading. The, the people in your life are reading. So when you leave church today and you go home and you're, and you're down or you're frustrated or you're this or you're that, consider what message, consider what letter you're reading to them. Consider the aroma that you're giving off for Christ. What's taking you so long to live with a passion for Jesus?